James 1 verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Some questions as we begin. What reaction comes across your heart and mind when you read words such as these in today's passage? Is your religion as pure and as undefiled as it seems to you to be? Or is it vain and worthless? And who gets to decide how good and right your religion really is? You or God? Who gets to make that decision? Now a beginning thought here is that we Christians sometimes flinch when we hear our Christian faith being called our religion. Or we're asked if we are religious or we're referred to as being religious. In today's culture, the word religion and religious has been reduced to mean not much more than a person taking part in some system of beliefs in a higher power. And we Christians like to quickly correct those folks that would ask us if we are religious. We like to say, no, we're not religious, we're Christian. And that's true. But for today and these scriptures that we are studying here today, these words religious and religion are used in these scriptures much in the same way that we refer to Christianity or our Christian faith. And so that's the way we're going to consider it as we study these words about our religion. So the question again, what reaction comes across your heart and mind when you read these words in today's passage? Listen again. Now this from the King James Version. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, worthless, meaningless. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted, unstained from the world. Now my first observation is that this strong and forceful nature of this man James can be clearly seen in these words. As we've been saying, as we've been studying the verses before this and then certainly after this, James does not sugarcoat his words. But I want us to also always remember that these words that we're reading are not just James's words alone. These are the words of the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. And God does not sugarcoat these words. And for that reason, you and I ought to be very concerned about these words. Perhaps even weeping and grieving when we're faced with this question that's being presented to us here in these words. And that question is, is my religion, is your religion as real as it seems to us to be? 
Is my religion as real as it seems to me to be? Or are we deceiving ourselves? That's the question. Think about that. Again, these words. And note the beginning words. If any man or woman, anyone among you, seem, notice that word seem, to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If any person among you seem to be religious, folks, with that one simple word, seem, God is immediately able to probe deeply within our souls and question us about how real, how real our religion really is. With these words, he begins by simply implying that our religion, our Christianity, may not truly measure up to be the religion that it seems to be to us. That we might be using the wrong measuring rod in our measurement. We might be deceiving ourselves into thinking that our relationship with Christ is more real and more effectual than it actually is. And so then, a direct question to you and me should be, is this true in your personal life? Is this true in my personal life? Is our religion, is our Christianity as real as it seems to us to be? As it seems to us to be? Or are we deceiving ourselves? Proverbs 16, we're told that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Same word. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now these words here in our text of James 1, they're not necessarily questioning our eternal salvation, though... For some, they may be. But in general, they're not. He's talking to the brethren, those who have Christ as their Savior. And so, the question might more appropriately be, is our daily walk with Christ as real as it should be? Is the actual working out of our salvation, remember in Ephesians 2, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who worketh within us to do His purposes. Are we working out our portion of this salvation in the way that we should, in the conduct and in all the behaviors of our daily life? Is it really real, pure, and undefiled, as he suggests here, or does it just seem to us to be? This term real has become a very popular expression in today's culture. We often hear it being used in conversations where one person will tell another one, just be real. Just be real. Now I confess I don't often know what's intended by such advice as that. But I do sense that there's a similarity of meaning in those words to these words of our Scripture text today. The thought being that our being able to simply say the right words, which we can do very easily, 
We've learned them. We've grown up in this Bible belt. So we know a lot of Christian words to say. Just because we're able to say those right words, one especially, I'll be praying for you. How many times have you said those words and then walked away and you realize a week later you didn't pray for that person? We can say the right words, but here in this question that He's bringing to us, to be really real, our depth of spiritual understanding and our responses and our feelings must really be able to go beyond us just saying the right words and seeming to have the kind of religion that we're supposed to have. And so God is saying that here to you and me today, warning us that our religion may not may not be as real as it might seem to us to be, that though we might know a lot of those right words, and we might be able to say them at the right time, much of who we are and what we do might be vain efforts. Vain. He uses that word. Vain efforts. Meaningless. Vanity means meaningless. Useless. Worthless. And meaningless platitudes and surface responses at the right time while they may seem good coming out of our mouth, they just simply will never rise to the level of the religion, the Christian walk that God desires us to have and that He's speaking about here. And if it is left as it is, our religion might never really become real. Now for the most part, Most of us Christians probably do believe that we are giving a good effort towards practicing our religion. Because we try to do the good deeds that come our way each day. We say good and right words. And we live a reasonably wholesome lifestyle. And by then us doing a few good things, we convince ourselves and others of our right standing with the Lord. But let me say again to us, The measuring rod by which righteousness is measured is not in your hand, is not in my hand. It is in God's hand. And I do fear that with Him holding that measuring rod and doing the measuring, you and I might probably find ourselves to have far less of what He calls here this true and pure religion that we might be, as He says here, deceiving ourselves without realizing it. Too often that can happen without our knowing it's taking place. And He warns us of it in Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the heart, your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And He asks the question, who can know it? We can't, He's saying, we can't know our own heart. Our own heart deceives us. It is so deceitful and desperately wicked. I was reminded as I thought of this, of this dear man, good friend, who I used to work with. He had come to me for my approval on an idea or a project that he wanted to accomplish. And when I would not necessarily agree with him and his ideas, he would argue his point until I would wear down and give in. And he knew that I truly did not agree with him, but that did not matter to him. Because I perceive that if he had an idea, it always seemed right to him. 
And because of that, he always believed it to be right. That old saying, I think it, therefore it is true. Folks, according to Jeremiah 17.9, such thinking can be very deceptive to us. Deceiving our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have these personal affinities towards things in this life and towards people. And all of that can get ahead of the actual truth that is being given to us here in these Scriptures. And we truly do become deceived. But the warning is that we must not allow that to take place. And we especially, listen, we especially must not allow our hearts to deceive us into thinking that this relationship that we have with Christ is better than it really is. Here in these words of our text, God is giving us some of the clear and simple measurements that He uses as He observes our relationship with Him. Just in these few words, there's several. Listen, He tells us, and I'll read this again, if any man, any woman, anyone among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that's one thing, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows, that's another, in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's another one. Now simply put, our religion can be measured by the way that we walk our Christian walk each day. In the way that we work out this salvation that God has put into our hearts. In 1 John chapter 2, God tells us that he who says, I know him, that is God, I know God, and does not keep His commandments, does not keep God's commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him, listen, ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. To walk just as Christ walked. This is the acid test that I spoke about a moment ago. The acid test of our religion, our daily Christian walk. And this acid test will always come to us, folks. It will always come to us because God will make sure that it comes to us. God is the engineer of all of our circumstances, that great orchestra leader of every providential setting. He'll bring you and me into circumstances and settings that will reveal the realness of our religion. Are we doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word? Here in these words, God cites these three measurements. The first is the use or the misuse of our tongue. The second is the manner in which we treat the less fortunate or perhaps mistreat them the widows and the orphans. And then thirdly, the keeping of ourselves unspotted from this world. You read these words again. If anyone, any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, meaningless, worthless. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless 
and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now as for our tongues, Proverbs 17.28 tells us an oft-quoted proverb that even a fool seems to be wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And that's true. But most of us are natural talkers. Some more than others. But almost every one of us, given the opportunity, wants to be heard on a matter. Recalling some of the earlier words in this chapter about this progression of sin, how sin erupts from deep within our thought processes and works its way out into our lives. Starts with a thought. And to merely have an unkind thought about a person, now that may not yet be sin. But when we allow that thought to linger there too long, or we go ahead and voice that unkind thought, most often then it becomes sinful. Also to get angry and to want to cuss may not yet be sin. But to express that anger, especially in profane words, usually is sinful. To disagree with another person, even out loud, may not be sinful. But arguments often are sinful. And so gossip, slander, profanity, vulgar jokes, God calls that coarse jesting, speaking with a little innuendo in your expression, that's usually filled with sinfulness, vanity, and pride. And what God says here is it needs to be bridled. Bridled with a bit brought under control. Now, second way that God tells us here that we defile our religion is in the manner that we treat or that we mistreat the less fortunate, the widows and the orphans. Now, each of us, each of us might be able to legitimately claim that we have never intentionally mistreated widows and orphans. And it's probably true that we don't openly do things like that. We don't openly and publicly humiliate them or refuse to give them food and clothing when we know that they're hungry and cold. But do we mistreat them in other ways? Such as, do we despise drunks and drug addicts and their families because they don't get out there and get a job like everyone else? Have you ever thought those thoughts? been involved in those conversations? Unfortunately, I have. Do we mistreat them also by the things that we should do but we don't do? Perhaps by not visiting the widows and the orphans, showing them kindness, fellowship, love. Sometimes widows and orphans are lonely. Especially they can be insecure without family around to depend upon. Just knowing that they have a friend, have you, that they can call on, that can be so helpful to them. Just comforting their souls, reassuring them. Another way that we can mistreat widows and orphans is when we withhold public assistance from them. Or we 
promote the withholding of public assistance from them. Unfortunately, for most of my life, I have disagreed strongly with the welfare system, the one that's currently in place. And without question, by the way, our welfare system is badly broken. Badly broken. But in recent years, my thoughts have become far more accepting of this welfare system because as broken as it is, I can still see how it provides some very needed help to many, many of the poor and the widows and the orphans. The same widows and orphans that are spoken about here in these Scriptures, they're not different. They're the same ones. Yes, mom and dad may be doing things wrong so that those children end up either real orphans or what might as well be orphans, absentee parents. But that's not those children's fault. That's not their fault. And you and I need not spend our time being judgmental about what's taking place with their daddy and their mama or whatever else. They are the widows and the orphans that are spoken about here. There are so many single parent families, wives with children, where the husband has left them. It's not a lot different than a widow. Part of the real truth about the welfare system also is that the only reason that it is in existence is because the church and the Christians that go there to those churches every Sunday, you and me, have not been doing our part. The people in our Christian communities do not reach out to help as we should. And the churches turn their heads from the needy And they spend more time, listen, more time and money in taking care of their own programs within their churches and all of that sort of thing. And that's a sad commentary on us as believing Christians. While we can take care of our own but ignore what's taking place outside the walls. I've been personally convicted for some time now that I do not have this pure religion that God's speaking about here in my activities and actions and behaviors every day. And as your pastor, I'm really not leading this church in this pure religion. And I ask your forgiveness for that. I should be doing that. And I want to start doing that. I want to start looking for ways that we can help the needy, the widows and the orphans in this community. I want you to help me do that. I need your help to do that. Now, finally, and we'll close. The third way mentioned here by which we defile our religion is by letting the corrupt ways of this world trickle into our life. We become spotted, as these words say. We become blemished by the sinfulness that takes up residence within our life, that we let trickle in and take up residence. Listen, the rule always applies. Sin is not just a matter of us accidentally tripping over and breaking some of God's rules. Sin is so much more than that. Sin is a predator. Sin is a predator and it is coming after you and me every moment of every day. It is ever and always on the prowl and especially roaming to and fro within our own souls seeking 
to devour us. But as these words instruct, we are to turn from it. We are to deny its power and control and keep ourselves unspotted from it. And we can do that. How do I know we can do that? Because He commands us to do it. He will never command us to do something that we cannot do. Now, we'll need His help, but we can do this because He's commanded us. So the question as we close, is your religion as real as it seems to be to you? Is your religion that which you live with within your heart every day, is it as real as it seems to you to be? Or are we simply allowing our hearts to deceive us? That's the question. And I want you to ask yourself that. And ask the Lord these words here in Psalm 139. I want you to join with me and ask God to search our hearts with these words here so that He can lead us to this pure religion that He's speaking about here. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Invite the Lord to do this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray.